Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Last week, we started our conversation on what is often referred to as Pentecost, and I titled that message, Birthday. The reason I titled that birthday was because it represents, Pentecost represents the birth of the church. There are a few key things happen whenever we are born. When a baby comes into the world, it takes a deep breath and then usually begins to cry. Many of you know that experience of your children whenever they came into the world. Levi literally only cried for about 15 minutes the entire time we were in the hospital. Cora cried for three days straight. I mean, it didn't stop. And so we kept, we didn't know if Levi was alive. Like we just kept checking on him because he just would not cry. You then, when the baby is born, you can place the, the baby against your warm skin. This steadies the breathing and it starts to steady the heart rate. Then you cut the corn, cord, not the corn. I'm, I'm getting hungry. We can do that after church. You cut the cord. And when you cut the cord, this is a sign that the baby is ready to live independently outside of the womb on its own. We all know some in their 30s, 40s, 50s, the cord has not been cut. All right. But the, but the idea is that at this point, the baby is ready for life. When our kids were born, I can remember, and I know that you probably didn't feel this way because you were really ready to get home, but I really enjoyed those couple of days that we did get to stay in the hospital. I felt like it was a really good bonding period. And also, whenever they would start crying like crazy, you could still give them to a nurse and they could take them away. But it was just this amazing time that I can remember with both of our little ones, just being able to, you know, who do they look like? What are their personalities going to be like? And all of those really exciting things early on. So last week, what we discussed with this early part of Pentecost in the first 13 verses were the tongues of fire and the fierce winds of Pentecost that take place in this important event. This morning, what we're going to look at is, is what we could really call the first New Testament church sermon Ever. It is Peter's first sermon during the Pentecost events. And I want you to think about your initial moments in the hospital with your new child, because this is literally what we could call an infant church. All right, this is the place that we're in. So after verse, theme, uh, verse 13, what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 14, if they'll go ahead and pull the passage up. Now, what I've done with this particular passage today is I've really kind of mixed some verses together. So instead of trying to find every single one of these in my, in my Bible, I'm going to follow on the screen with you guys as I read. So all of the amazing, extraordinary events that have got all of these people, as we talked about last week, in awe, inspired, bewildered, confused, 
All of this is going on, and Peter says, you know what? This would be a really, really good time to preach to these people so that we can explain to them what is going on. So this is the place that we find ourselves today, and this is what the passage says if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, so he's a screaming preacher. He raised his voice and he declared, Judeans and everyone listening in Jerusalem, know this, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk. I probably need to explain that. You remember in verse 13, but where we were last week when they said, well, they must be drunk on that sweet wine. Everything around here seems extraordinary and crazy and wild and bizarre. So they're accused of being drunk. He says, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you may suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, but I guess as the old saying goes, it's five o'clock somewhere as far as they're concerned. I've known a lot of people, nine o'clock in the morning was not a problem. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man whose, whose credentials God proved to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him among you. They had seen a lot of this. They had witnessed this through Jesus. Keep in mind that Jesus has just ascended into heaven. You yourselves know this. In accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed. You, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him to a cross. God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. This Jesus God raised up. We are all witnesses to that fact. He was exalted to God's right hand and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He poured out the Spirit and you are seeing and hearing the results of having done so. That's what's going on with this event that we talked about last week. Therefore, let all Israel know beyond question that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. This is so bold. You have to understand the boldness of what's going on here and the fact that Peter has the guts and the audacity to say this in front of so many Jews. When the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled. That's going to be really important right there. The crowd heard this. This is the transition. They were deeply troubled. They said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers and sisters, what should we do? Peter replied, change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God invites. With many other words, he testified to them and encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community that day. Now, can you imagine what this looks like? Now, important detail. When they're counting numbers in the ancient world, they're often just counting men. So what this is suggesting is that 3,000 men were baptized that day. This is not even including all the women and the children that were baptized that day. It's absolutely incredible. So with this message, Peter is giving instruction that is going to form a lifestyle that is going to form the church. He is introducing a new 
way of living in what we could call a post-Jesus on earth era. He is telling everyone what should be done. So they're bewildered, they're confused, they're in awe. All of those verbs that we talked about last week, and they're like, what is going on here? So then Peter comes up and he makes an effort, and I should say a very, very good effort considering the results. He makes an effort to explain to them what is going on. So for this infant church, he is laying the foundation of what it is supposed to look like. All right, and this is what he is saying. Today. So what is he proclaiming on this day? What is, it imp- what is important for us as Believer's Church to understand about what the church is supposed to be if we really have a desire to get back to the origins of what the church is supposed to be? A few things that he's doing, and the first is this. He is proclaiming the lordship of Jesus. All right, he is proclaiming the lordship of Jesus. Now pay attention to this. He is not sharing how to structure a church service. That's really important, but that's not what he's doing. He is not providing a script for how to treat new people. Very important, but that's not what he's doing. He is not teaching the dynamics of organizational culture, something Matt Smith might do. He's not doing that. He is proclaiming the lordship of Jesus. This is to be the central identity of the New Testament church. With all of these other things that are going to come about that are very, very important, he is saying, this is our identity. Jesus is Lord. This is incredibly radical. And this is incredibly dangerous. And it's very controversial. So this is what it says in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel know beyond question. There is no speculation here. So you have all of these Jews that do not believe that Jesus is the son of God. You need to understand this Israel. As we're all gathered here for this event, we need to understand that Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, is both the Lord and also the Christ. Even though Jesus has been around at this point for 30 plus years, and his public ministry had went around three and a half years, this is still a revolutionary and dangerous message for many. You see, what we take for granted, even though it seems that Christianity is on the decline in the United States, is that during this time, this is new. All right, this has been part of Western civilization since the first century. So it's not new to us. It's embedded into who we are as people. But this is brand new. This is dangerous. In fact, this might be the most dangerous time in history for this message. So here's this Peter. And and think about this Peter that we've been talking about, this individual. This is the same one that we talked about a couple weeks ago that denied Jesus. And it's amazing how God is using this individual. This gives hope for every single person that is in here right now in a place of struggle. Every single person that's ever had a doubt, every person that's in here right now and saying, I'm just not quite sure about this whole Christianity thing, God, for some reason, takes people on the margins, people that don't look the way you think they should look, people that don't have the education that you think they should have, and he turns these ashes into beauty. He does it over and over again. And here's the exciting part. I wish you would recognize right now that he can do that with you. 
I wish you would recognize, I hope you recognize that you may be the next voice. So society and culture are often looking at the way that we're dressed. They're often looking at how much money or experience people have. This is not the path that Jesus takes. Keep in mind that not long before this, we've already talked about this in Matthew 16, he says, I'll tell you, Peter, I will build my church on this rock and the gates of the underworld or the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. So it brings about this question. As, as Peter has experienced this evolution of growth, as Peter is in this place and he is leading the church, what is lordship? And what does that actually look like? What is he preaching to the Jews on this day? First, he is saying this, Jesus is God. And keep in mind, again, I know now, especially in this setting right now, there aren't many people that would actually argue this or think this is weird or bizarre or anything like this. But in this world, this is controversial. This is radical. So you need to understand that as Jesus sta- or as, as Peter stands up with all of this going on around him, he could have been killed in any moment. And he is boldly proclaiming this in front of all these people. Jesus is Lord. Everything is his. But also we are to obey Jesus in all things. That he is the Lord of all. Or that he is not Lord at all. That he is the Lord of all things. That this is not a life that we live with a partial commitment. This is not a life we live in which we give a little bit of ourselves, maybe on Sunday morning, and we take the rest back. What he is saying in this moment and what he is preaching to them is radical commitment on their part. That there is a lifestyle that they must start practicing every single day moment of their lives. You can't just turn it on and turn it off when you choose to turn it on and turn it off. And this is why we see, this is what we see in Christianity today with most people. But also, we don't talk about this one as much, that we are supposed to practice radical servanthood. That the love that we have for other people, that the way that this is demonstrated in our lifestyle, the way that this is demonstrated in our actions, because sometimes we get the other things right. We got to try to be obedient in everything. We got to try to keep as many people out of hell as possible, but we don't necessarily have to wash their feet. We don't necessarily have to learn radical forgiveness. We don't necessarily have to love the poor, but instead what we're supposed to do is just preach, 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 and not understand the humility that comes with what it means to be a serving husband or to be a serving wife or to be a serving coworker, or to be a serving friend, or how about this novel idea, a serving pastor or ministry leader that is not trying to dominate in a way of authority, but instead is trying to empower and love people through humility. This is what it means to make Jesus Lord, but also that we are to separate the church from other social institutions, that the church is something sacred, that what he's talking about on this day, what they're building up in these very early stages, it's brand new and it's sacred and it's different. And there's a way that we are supposed to approach this. Now, next week, what we're going to see, and this is going to be very cool, we're going to see how this is actually worked out into the life of the community. So you kind of get these events of Pentecost and what everything looks like when, it, when it's all going down. 
And then Peter proclaims and said, this is the way that we are supposed to live. This is the way that the church is supposed to operate. And then what we get to see next week is the way that it's lived out. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys, and I'm, this is not a spoiler, it's very different than the way that we usually practice things. It is very, very different. In fact, it's pretty controversial how we practice things. Okay, so we need this lordship, but this is what follows, and it has to follow. It has to follow the need for repentance. The need for repentance. And this part of the passage is my favorite. I'll get to it here in just a second. But repentance in Greek, what this means, and I love this, it's this simple. You think of this big churchy word, I'm bad, I gotta be good, I gotta figure out. It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. And guess what else it means? And I love this even more. It's a transformed outlook. So what he is saying is the way that you're treating your, your wife, you gotta change your mind. The way that you're acting about this, this, this view of God, you've got to have a transformed outlook. The way that you see your hobbies, the way you see the things that you care about, where you find your value in this world, those things have to change. Do you know what repentance literally is? This is what repentance is, and this is hard. Repentance is this. That's repentance. That's what it is. Your life is going this direction. You believe this is best for you. You've got all these plans in the future. You're the God, even though you, you don't want to say it, say it that way because you occasionally go to church or you mention God in a Facebook post or you think God's okay or you don't like it when people curse. But no, repentance is usually, and, and listen, we still need this in our church. Let's, let's for a second not talk about the amazing people they come to our church on a regular basis. They're, they're coming to our church as new people. But let's talk about people that are here, that are already grounded and rooted here. We need to be repentant people. We need to change our minds. We need to change our thoughts. And life is found in this direction. This scripture is incredible. It's some of the best scripture in, in, in the entire Bible. This is verses 37 and 38. So remember this for later. Listen to this. So, so Peter is saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you better live like Jesus is Lord. Now, I'll tell you one of the reasons that he didn't get killed. And one of the reasons that people aren't aggressively pursuing him. It's because the Holy Spirit is so powerful that people can barely move. And, it's, and that's what it says right here. It says, when the crowd heard this, listen to this. They were deeply troubled. And we're going to stay here for just a second. When the crowd heard that Jesus was Lord and that they had crucified this Jesus, they were deeply troubled. What makes us think they were deeply troubled other than the fact that it says they were deeply troubled? What makes us think this? Then Peter said to the other apostles, brothers and sisters, what should we do? So Jesus Christ is Lord. We get that. We hear you. They're trembling. The Holy Spirit is real in this place. And they're like, okay, we hear that. We're now under conviction. You have our attention. This is really serious stuff. What are we supposed to do about it? Peter replied, he's got the answer. I should say the spirit has the answer. Listen to this. This is for some of you in here today. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, change your hearts and lives. Change your hearts and lives. What do you do under these circumstances? What do you do if you have one foot in and the other foot completely in the world? 
What is it that if you have a little bit of yourself into this idea of church, but you're still completely, your thoughts and your process is dominated by American culture, what is it that you do? You repent. You change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized. Again, if you're a Christian, baptism is the next step. Baptism class next Sunday. There's a plug. All right. You must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's just going to get better and better from this point forward. Peter's message produces a deep emotional conviction. All right, Jesus Christ is Lord. All of these dynamic things are going on around them. What should we do? They are deeply troubled. So deeply troubled, if you have your Bible open, some of your translations say they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Now, what this means in some cases in the New Testament is that they were angry. It's not what it means here because it has another meaning. Listen to this. They were desperate. They were troubled, or as some translations say, they were cut to the heart. Listen to me. They were desperate. They were desperate for change. They were desperate for something new. You want to know how to build a church? You say, well, of course I do. You read a bunch of blogs? Get some books by Ed Stetzer? You know, you listen to a certain podcast? You go to the right corner, you want to know how to build a church, you find some desperate people. You find some desperate people. You find some people that are so disgusted with their own sin. And they are so bothered about who they are apart from Christ that they need Jesus like they need their next breath. You want to build a church, you put all that other stuff out and you say, come Lord Jesus. Now you need the structure. You need the planning. You need the organization. You need some good steps and some good processes. But if you do those things and you're not desperate, you're done before you ever start. So they are deeply troubled. They are cut to the heart. And they recognize that if they take one step, if we're using this direction again, if they take one step in that direction, that their family is vulnerable. That they are vulnerable to an attack from the enemy. That they are not paying attention to the right things. All this stuff is going on. All this craziness. What do we do? I don't understand this stuff. I'm, I'm bewildered. I'm confused. All this stuff from last week. What do we do? We're deeply troubled. They're desperate. You know what you do when you're desperate? Some of you in here, and you've even got really good lives. You're just, you're just dissatisfied with everything being average. You change your heart and your life. You change your heart and your life. For some of you today, it can be a, a day that you are changed forever. Now, there's a reason that we're not desperate. Is everybody paying attention? Okay. There's a reason that we're not desperate. I'm going to start preaching now. There's a reason that we don't pursue uh, mission. The problem is what scholar Michael Green calls maintenance mode. And this is where most people are maintenance mode. Let me define that for you. A static place 
Static is in still, not moving. Some of you have not spiritually moved your entire life. You've attended some services. You've tried to make some good decisions. But you've never taken a step. A static place that contains ritualistic religious belief. The belief structure's there, you've got that. Followed by lack of commitment and practices of the belief. Again, a static place that contains ritualistic religious belief followed by lack of commitment and practices of the belief. I would go as far as to say that 99% of American churches live in maintenance mode. We're just here to make sure things go around. And when it's 12 o'clock, or in our case, 11 o'clock, we're ready to go. And then we come back and we do the next thing. There's never any movement. Your marriage never gets better. A lot of times it ends in divorce. You're stuck in this place with the wheel spinning and you never thrive. Because you've never made that change. Now what keeps us in maintenance mode? Listen to this, because some of you are here. What keeps us in maintenance mode? Number one, attachments. Money. Status. Hobbies, belongings, sin, things that constantly dull the relationship over and over again in our lives. Attachments, all these things, the American dream. Maintenance mode. What else keeps us in maintenance mode? Relationships, the wrong boyfriend, the wrong girlfriend. The wrong friend groups that continually create these and produce these values and these customs around you that are not Christ-like. How can you grow? How can you move? If this is your Sunday group, but you got a Monday through Saturday group that has a completely different... Now, this is not my way of saying, don't you spend any time around, around these sinners. You know what they used to tell me? You know, Matt, if, you're, if, you, if you run with the dogs, you're bound to get fleas. Well, I was the... I had plenty of fleas. I didn't need anybody else to give them to me. So, of course, we interact. We build relationships with people in the world, but we're not of this world. So if you find it easy to transition from hallelujah, praise God on Sunday morning to did you see what she's wearing on Monday morning? It's bad relationships. Maintenance mode. Relationships, attachments. But also, this is the big one, justifications. I'm good enough. I've given enough. I'm giving to the church. I try to be there every Sunday morning. I try to be a good person. What we do is we're rationalizing the status quo. We're rationalizing just being okay. Listen to me. Never compare yourself to another religious person or a preacher that you've put on a pedestal and expect that to be the standard. Jesus is the standard. Justifications. Relationships. Attachments. Maintenance mode. So who avoids maintenance mode? Who manages to get out of maintenance mode, because this is what Peter's talking about. Who gets out of it? The desperate, the deeply troubled, 
those who have been, some of your translations say, cut to the heart. Those who need Jesus more than they need their next breath. Not their, their latest update on Instagram. Or the next conversation with that friend. Or the next poor you know, phone call with, with a bad relationship. Or the next sporting event. Or whatever it looks like. They need Jesus. Like These are the only people who avoid maintenance mode. Peter is calling for people to turn from their former lives. He is calling on people to accept the wholeness and the fullness that is life in Jesus. You're walking in this direction. Things maybe seem okay, or maybe things don't seem that good. But you make a decision out of your distress, out of your, see, I was ta talking to a friend about this the other day. A lot of times it's people who have just completely hit rock bottom. They need to recognize that they need Jesus. But there are other people, they have it all. Anything that you can imagine, the nice home, the nice car, you know, the spouse, all these things, the kids. But they just know something's missing. And that something will always be missing outside of the presence of your creator. So this lordship is so important. This need for repentance is so important. But then also he's preaching kingdom embracement. Kingdom embracement. I don't know if you recognize this. You're going to recognize this as we go. It's just the same stuff over and over every week. It's the same stuff that we're talking about over. I think this is like the, the, the fourth week of the fourth part of this that we've talked about kingdom values and kingdom embracement. And that's exactly what he's talking about. So what do you do? Those of you that are deeply troubled, you, you change your heart and your lives. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He goes on to say, with many other words, he testified to them and encouraged them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be removed. Be different. Be salt and light in this world. Be removed from this. Those who accepted Peter's message, the lordship of Jesus, the need for repentance, were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community that day. Can you even begin to imagine? Because again, I said, if we're counting men and women, it's more. Can you even imagine what this looks like? Can you even imagine the manpower, the time that it takes to baptize 3,000 people? Have you ever really thought about that? You've read that and you thought, that's a lot of people. That's two megachurches. That's this, that's that. Have you really thought about what this scene actually looks like? And here's the beauty. This is not a known rabbi preaching this message. This is not somebody well-versed in Scripture preaching this message. This is a poor, uneducated, unordained fisherman. What can Jesus do through you? Man, there's power in a yes. Man, there's power in a, I'm just going to go in this direction. I'm just going to go forward. There are people in this room right now that maybe even just to a small degree consider themselves to be religious people. But what you could do in the mental health community, what you could do for struggling marriages, what you could do for people experiencing the shame of divorce, what you could do um, for the addicted, 
what you could do and all you have to do. And it's, listen, it's really, really hard. It's real hard. It's not, okay, yeah, I'll do it. It's really hard. But what does this room look like if people start saying yes? And here you have these educated Jews and they're like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is as he steps forward? But as he starts to speak, 3,000 people on their faces, families recognizing that they need Jesus. Now, you know what this is? In this moment with these 3,000 people, during this period that we can't even begin to imagine, you know what Michael Green calls this? I love this. The red hot center. So whenever we've had at the, at the end of a lot of our services lately, just people continuing to come down, pouring their hearts out in prayer. God, I need you more. What we're getting, what we're getting closer to, guys, is a red hot center. It's required. It's required more than anything else you can imagine. Anything else, your church needs this. Your church needs that. This is what you guys need to do if you want to be successful. You need a red hot center. This is what he goes on to say. I love this. Their fellowship was so vibrant. To see the unity. Their fellowship was so vibrant. Their lifestyle so attractive. Who in the 21st century looks at Christians and says their lifestyle is attractive? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody looks at Christians and says, they're man, I really want some of that. They can't possibly get further away from it. Their fellowship was so vibrant, their lifestyle so attractive, their warmth, their goodness, their servanthood so great that it was infectious. It was infectious. Here's what he says. Get the center fire hot and people will be warmed on its outskirts and drawn in down the road where Misty lives, down the road where the Montgomery's live, some of you guys that live, you know what they're going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm not joking about this. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. They're going to drive by this building and something's going to happen within their stomach. And they're going to see that flag that Roger put up. They're going to say, i got to stop. I'm not well. Some, something's going on. I don't know what it is in there, but I'm being drawn to that place. My family's broken. I don't know what I've got to do to put it together. All of a sudden, I don't even feel like I know my kids. And they're going to be drawn in. Social media has been a very powerful thing for us, especially recently. Live stream has been a very powerful thing. But when the center is red hot, people are going to pull into that parking lot and it's going to be so overwhelming they don't even feel like they know if they can walk in. And that's what I'm talking about. You get the center red hot with people that are simply willing to say one word. Yes. It's all they've got to say. In whatever direction it is in their lives, whatever place they are in that moment, as crazy as things may seem, they are willing to say Yes. Now I'm going to tell you why this is so difficult while some of you while some of you are holding on tightly to your chairs right now and why some of you are resisting. I'm going to tell you right now. We've already been there. Attachments, relationships, and justifications. If I follow Jesus with everything in me, 
I might have to let go of X. If I fully embrace this, if I'm consumed with this, that relationship might suffer. Well, I want to do that. I think it's a good idea. But mom and dad, they went to church their whole lives and they didn't talk about going this crazy with this whole thing. The justifications. You let go. You let go. Please hear me. You're not okay. You're not okay. And there is only one way that you become okay. Jesus says it best. And this is how he says it. All who want to come after me, we've already used this scripture in this series, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives, as some of you feel that you're doing by holding on to your seat, you're going to lose it. You will lose it. It's a promise. But those who are willing to lose their lives for my sake, they're the ones that are going to find it. Now listen, don't be driven forward by guilt or because you had a bad week and you made some bad mistakes and you and your wife or you and your husband had some arguments. You had arguments with the kids or you did this and it was really stupid. Remember the baby? Remember how the baby comes into the world? Be driven forward because you are slung into this world with a cry and with a deep breath. And God wants to hold you closely with his warmth to steady the anxiety, to steady the fear, to steady the struggles and the angst that is going on, I never held the baby like this, it was more like this, within you. You know the emotion that I've become the most connected with lately? And this is hard for me because I, I always felt God was ready to strike me down with a lightning bolt every time I made a mistake. He's incredibly gentle. He's incredibly gentle. And he wants to be gentle with you in this very moment. Wants to hold you close and restore that restless, defiant soul. He wants to get to know you. He wants to carry you on this amazing journey. Now what we're going to do today, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And if you need to come forward, because it's an issue of repentance in your life, if you need to grab your, your husband or your wife or your significant other and come forward and pray with them, you can. If there is something going on in your heart right now, and I'm asking you if you're desperate, if this is you, that you can come forward this morning. But as we talk about accepting Jesus and repentance and turning from who we were, into the newness of life, I will be down here. And if it is your desire to accept Jesus today, if it is your desire to start over today, if it is your desire to embrace him for the first time, I would love to talk to you about that this morning.
Uh, Would you guys first pray with me? Lord, we lift you up and we thank you so much for this day, God. And what I pray for in this moment, God, is a spirit of desperation. God, knowing that we are trying the same things over and over and over again. And God, sometimes they're just not working. God, we're frustrated. God, we need the newness that you bring. Father, some of us in this room right now, we need miracles. We need things to happen, Father, that we can't even begin to fathom. Father, there are others in here right now that are close followers of you, but they want more. They want to go all the way. And I'm telling you right now, church, as I pray this, that if you've been justifying your lukewarm behavior, if you've been justifying your hypocrisy in the status quo, if you have attachments in the form of alcohol, in the form of pornography, in the form of money, whatever it may look like, I am praying and pleading with you to release those things by the power of Jesus today, regardless of what area of this building that you have to come out of. And if you need to come forward and pray about releasing relationships, about cultivating the spirit in your life, Father, this is the only thing that matters. Let the Holy Spirit make us new today, Father. If there be anyone in here that does not know you, Father, or that is deeply distant from you, Father, they're just tired. They're tired of the same thing over and over. I pray, Father, for a spirit of conviction to fall on this place, Father, similar to that in Pentecost where people are cut to the heart, where people are deeply troubled, to where people see through the facade that there is nothing in this world offered to them that can match the love of Jesus. We lift you up. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.